you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. As tensions rise between Ukraine and Russia, part of me says, Jesus, where are you? As we are in year three of a worldwide pandemic, part of me says, Jesus, where are you? As we reject refugees from Haiti just five months ago, but welcome refugees from Ukraine, part of me says, Jesus, where are you? As we experience a racial reckoning and expose white supremacy in every system in this country, part of me says, Jesus, where are you? Just 12 days ago, the African-American Clergy Coalition here in Arizona led an I Love Democracy Day of Action outside of the Cardinal Stadium. A peaceful protest demanding that the NFL move the Super Bowl out of Arizona because as Penny Sheridan states, there are over 140 voter suppression bills in Arizona in 2022 legislative session that seek to create barriers to vote, voter registration, criminalize election officials, and attack citizen, citizen initiatives. And part of me says once again, Jesus, where are you? I don't know about you, but growing up, I remember asking, how does Jesus relate to what's happening and happening in our world in real time? It's difficult for me to hear Jesus being talked about as a then and there character of the Bible because he is and has always been a here and now God. And then I'm reminded of Jesus and the state of Jesus's world. In Christians and Roman rule in the New Testament, Richard J. Cassidy describes the political and economic conditions of Augustus' rule in detail. Jesus, I definitely missed my place here, but that's okay. Jesus was no stranger to military power and exhaustion taking from the poor to make the rich richer. He saw how the Roman Empire enjoyed great wealth from the purse of conquered peoples and the trade that increased as the borders moved outward. Jesus was no stranger to taking from the poor to build up and prop up the rich to make them richer. Jesus was also no stranger to enslavement, for slaves were acquired during the military conquest of Rome that were to the benefit of the wealthy people of Rome. These were just some of the political and economic conditions of Augustus' rule during the time of Jesus. Now, I want you to keep that in mind as we read tonight's passage, which is Luke 9, 28 through 36 and 37 through 43. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. 
As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For Peter didn't know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they had came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him into the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now, I want to do something a little bit different tonight to give you an opportunity to talk to one another for a few minutes. Don't, just, don't get scared. I'm going to guide you on what to do exactly. I want to talk, you to talk amongst yourselves about the holistic story of who you are. All that you've gone through in your life up until this point. If you know it, think about your parents, all that they went through. Your grandparents, all that they went through. Your ancestors, your people, all that they went through. Think about the summation of all of those stories and think about not just you, but all the people that are connected to you. And answer this question, which will be on the screens. As you think about the holistic story of your ancestors, your people, your family, who do you feel that you embody? Who do you say that you are? Who do you say that you embody? You can get into groups of two, three, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your neighbor, that's okay too because some people don't feel comfortable with that with COVID and stuff. But take a few minutes. We're going to play some music in the background lightly and discuss this question amongst yourselves. Let's go. Okay. Um, well, I'll give how I answered it, because I don't want to pressure anybody. Um, the way that I answered this question, who do you say that you embody? I was recently asked this at a workshop that I went to for women in ministry in the city. And I think the last time I spoke, I spoke about genealogy and how I was, you know, up till 3 a.m. on Ancestry.com and all these things, had really great conversations with my great aunt and things. And I can't help but now answer that question without also thinking about the history and the context of where I come from. And so I feel that I embody a story of liberation. A lot of my ancestors come from a little town, a county called Yalabusha County in Mississippi, um, a descendant of slaves, farmers, housemaids, cotton pickers, all of that is where I come from. And over time, that's on my, mom, my dad's side, and also on my dad's side, 
was my grandmother, who um, was a pastor in the inner city of Chicago, was an advocate, an activist, and all of these things. And so I feel that the more that I know about my personal story, the more it makes sense as to why I'm attracted to do the things with my own life that I'm attracted to, because I'm part of a holistic story. So the reason why that exercise was important is because I believe that Jesus being on that mountaintop in the passage that we just read together was also an embodiment. Jesus was the fulfillment of stories, prophecies, prayers, and tears that had come before him. And on that mountaintop of transfiguration, Jesus embodied the fulfillment of love and identity. Laura, an Australian Catholic, summarizes it very well. She says this, Moses symbolizes the giver of the law, and Elijah symbolizes the greatest of the prophets. Therefore, on that mountaintop together, they represent the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were two main divisions of the Hebrew scriptures. The law or the Pentateuch was the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the prophets, which could also include the wisdom literature and Psalms, included Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That's a mouthful. I even hear a little song my mom taught us, learning the books of the Bible, if that's you too. Now keep that in mind, because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the, pro- or the, or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. And later in Matthew 22, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So by appearing with Moses and Elijah transfigured on the mountain, Jesus shows that he is the one who fulfills and sums up all the promises in all the books of the law and the prophets. Jesus fulfills the constant struggle of the children of Israel. Jesus fulfills the creation story, the Exodus story, the Israelites being delivered out of enslavement from the Egyptians and delivered into liberation and the promised land. Jesus fulfills the Israelites forgetting who they were and then remembering who they were. Jesus fulfills this deep, complex love story of identity and belonging. Then I also found it interesting that on the mountain of transfiguration, Peter wants to set up camp for all of them, and a great cloud comes so he can no longer see them. But then he hears this voice saying, this is my son. Focus on him. He's the one who I've chosen. Listen to him. It was almost like God was reminding Peter in the moment, don't forget who you are in the prophet's. Don't forget where you come from in the law, but also pay attention to what the Spirit is doing in the embodied witness of Jesus in the here and now. Now, not only is it Transfiguration Sunday, but it's also the last Sunday of Black History Month. And I want to give an example of someone who embodied history for the abolition of slavery, John Brown. 
It is said that John Brown was a white man and a man of strong religious convictions. Brown believed he was an instrument of God, raised up to strike the death blow to American slavery. He saw it as a sacred obligation. Brown was the leading exponent of violence in the American abolitionist movement, and he believed that violence was necessary to end American slavery since decades of peaceful efforts had failed. Brown said repeatedly that in working to free the enslaved, he was following the golden rule, as well as the U.S. Declaration of Independence, which states that all men are created equal. He repeatedly stated in his view these two principles meant the same thing. There's actually a really cool drama series called The Good Lord Bird on John Brown, if you're ever interested. It's a little bloody, but that's John Brown's life. But I enjoyed it. Kendall and I watched it together. But I believe John Brown embodied the witness of Jesus because he looked at the scriptures and saw liberation and the love of God. And then he embodied and practiced what he believed the Spirit of God wanted for the people of his time, freedom. Now, not everybody agrees with his method of violence, and quite frankly, you don't have to agree with that. But regardless of his method, he still embodied liberation, love, and freedom, things he saw in his Savior, Jesus. He didn't just mentally assent to the agreement of the abolition of slavery, he didn't just talk about its importance, but his physical being became what he saw practiced in the ways of Jesus. John Brown was an embodied witness of Jesus. Now, there are hundreds of abolitionists in history that you can look up and read about. And we know that African Americans have always been talking about the abolition of slavery for a long time. But there's John Brown, a white man, inspired in a church in the early 1800s to join Frederick Douglass in the fight for freedom. He saw it in the life of Jesus, so he embodied what he saw. But the complexity of his humanity is also true and also real. And that is what makes all of our attempts to practice the ways of Jesus together so beautiful. I grew up in a church space where it was mostly about what you said, Everything was about believing the same thing, talking the same way, thinking the same thing. If I'm honest, it was a little cult-like, really, truly. But in my opinion, it at times lacked an emphasis on being. We were so fixated on thinking and agreeing the same as a community that we sometimes forgot to be. And on this Transfiguration Sunday, I want to remind us that on the mountaintop, Jesus gave us a picture of what it means to embody the fulfillment of a story being told. For Jesus became an embodiment and then literally invited his disciples down the mountain on the journey of Lent to be something, to go into their neighborhoods and be something. At Kaleo, I'm sure you've heard it time and time again, that we are a community that practices the ways of Jesus together. The emphasis is not on the doing, but on being, which leads us to the doing. The practice comes as we embody the ways of Jesus. We do because we are, because we be, so to speak.
and therefore we practice, and therefore we do. So it is good to reflect on the stories that we embody. Just like we did earlier in our service tonight, it is good to remember who we are and where we come from. It is good to remember that your body is a witness of something. To remember that we are children of God, loved by God, and there is something that he is doing in us for the people of today. Often referred to as the black national anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing, was a hymn written as a poem by the NAACP leader James Weldon Johnson in 1900. His brother, John Johnson, composed the music for the lyrics. And on this last Sunday of Black History Month, I want to play this clip because it's powerful to witness black women and men singing this hymn. The songs we sing beckon us to be something, to become something, to embody something. You can take a look. I want to remind us of one last thing. That as we go to the table to eat together with Jesus as the host, 
We don't just sit as the table or at the table as ourselves, but we come as an embodiment of story and history. We sit as a summation of all the people, prayers, prophecies, tears, struggles, hardships, joys, laughter, and love that have come before us. And what is beautiful is that the table is an invitation to embody love, to embody acceptance. And that is the table that Jesus hosts for us. There's no explanation needed when you embody love for all people. There's no explanation needed when you embody Black Lives Matter. There's no explanation needed when you embody that we are on native land and honor that truth. The embodiment is a witness of. And as we embody, we have language for. And words are birthed out of that. So even as we reflected earlier on the state of our world today, and those parts of me that said, Jesus, where are you? There's so much pain, greed, hate, racism, bigotry, oppression, roaming in the streets and in the homes of our country and the world. And I think Jesus' response to us is this. I am here, embodied in each and every one of you. And because I am in each and every one of you, the question is not, where am I? For I am in you and promise to always be with you. The question is, where are you? Because where you are, there am I. So I propose this challenging question to us tonight. Where are we? Are we in the marginalized spaces and places where Jesus would be? And do we truly embody Jesus where we are? As the music plays, Take a moment to listen to what Jesus would be saying to you today. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.